Welcome back to the 2R1 podcast, where we study the Bible together as a married couple, a covenant relationship with God. I'm Taylor. I'm Elisa. And we're glad you're with us. Uh, Today we are going to be in Isaiah chapter 25, and then we're going to go to uh, kind of an amalgam of news stories from around the world during Easter week. And then we are going to take your questions. So sit back, enjoy the ride, and thank you for joining us. We'll see you in just a bit. been a couple weeks. We're going to try our best to do one a week, but you know, life has a way of kind of raising its hand and interrupting. But uh, anyway, we're glad to be back. We're so thankful that you could join us and that you're listening. Um, today, we're going to be back in Isaiah. I know we were there last last uh, time we were together, Isaiah chapter 6, about here I am, send me, you know, the call of God on your life. But today, we're going to be back in Isaiah uh, in chapter 25, just an awesome uh, chapter of scripture. So, Elisa, you want to you want to read for us? Sure. All right, Isaiah 25. O Lord, you are my God. Let me get into the I was in an amplified version. I, I like to be amped up. That's cool. All right. <laughs> o Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you, for you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is put down. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, marrow of aged wine well refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil is that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain, and Moab shall be trampled down in his place, as straw is trampled down in a dunghill. And he will spread out his hands in the midst of it, as a swimmer spreads his hands out to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pompous pride together with the skill of his hands, and the high fortifications of his walls he will bring down, lay low, and cast to the ground to the dust. Amen. Does that give anybody Mm -hmm. else chills? It's is pretty it, awesome. Is it just because you're my wife and you're reading it and it's awesome? Uh, it, I think it's, it's the Word of God. It's more than that. <laughs> you can't give it that much credit or give the Word of God all the credit. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you want to pray for us? Sure. 
We should have prayed for it. I guess we can pray now. That's good. I think now's good. All right, let's do it. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you, Father. We thank you that you are in complete control of all things, Father. You know the end as well as the beginning, just like your scripture talks about. Lord, regardless of what the world says, regardless of what science says, regardless of what our feelings say, you are in control and you are good. And we can count on that, Father. Our feelings change, but you don't change, Lord. And I pray that you would take us deep into your word, speak to us through your word, um, wash us through with your word, Father. Give us a fresh desire for you, Lord, and just uh, help us to see today what you want us to see and hear what you want us to hear, Lord. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. This scripture, this chapter, when I was reading it, obviously I kind of been reading in Isaiah, but it just jumped out at me. It was one of those mornings where I just... I just kind of wanted to to praise, you know, once I started reading it. But the very first verse is a proclamation. Mm -hmm. Adonai, you are my God. And while while you were reading, Elisa, the thought came to my mind to ask a listener or the audience, who is God to you? Yeah. You know, who is God to you? Because it's clear in this scripture to to this writer, to Isaiah, who God is to him. It's, it's just a, such a mighty declaration of who God is to him. So maybe we just start with that question. Who is God to you? Mm-hmm. Who is he? Um, you know, you can get tons of different answers from the world on that question. But he starts right off the bat mm-hmm. and he says... I, it just goes to show, I mean, you have to, sometimes I have to think about it in perspective because sometimes God seems so high because he is so high and above. You know, when you think of just a person you know, um, just think of your boss. It, what what that boss is to you is a mother to somebody else. Mm. So it's the same thing when you're talking about God. And That's there's, good. There's so many. But the, the crazy thing is, is he is big enough to be a mother and a boss and <laughs> a friend and a husband and a wife. Mm. And, and, a, yeah. and sometimes... A father to the, to the father. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so true. I haven't ever really thought about it like that. I mean, you know that, but to think about it, and it can also help give you perspective on other people's circumstances, mm-hmm. you know, kind of help us peel back the layer. You don't know where somebody's been, and you don't know what God may be taking them through. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of a, a scripture about David, and I can't remember where it is. I think it's in <clears throat> First Kings or Samuel or something, and this guy like David's, at this point, David's hated by the people, and they're like throwing this guy's like throwing stones at him and cussing at him or something. And and his soldier tells David, "You want me to go, you know, cut his head off?" And David's mm-hmm. like, "No, who who who's to I say that know. God didn't send him to, yeah. you know?" So you just never know who God is to someone at that moment and what He's taking them through to get them to the next yeah. place. Yeah. You know, like that's that. good. So he goes into praise here, and I'm just going to read my. Um, my uh, Hebrew translation here, we have to, we'll just switch back and forth. It doesn't matter. Do you want me to switch? No, it's fine. Okay, I like kind of getting different um, translations. So he says, Adonai, God, you are my God. I exalt you. I praise your name, for you have accomplished marvels. This is where it gets good right here. For you have accomplished marvels, fulfilled ancient plans faithfully and truth truly. So just right there, think about. Just think about the Bible and how we're in 2019. God has fulfilled, he's not only preserved mm-hmm. the scriptures, mm-hmm. but he has fulfilled the plans faithfully. 
Like if you just want to be amazed, go Google how many scriptures that Jesus fulfilled while he walked on earth. It's absolutely amazing to look at the life of Jesus and to to research what all he fulfilled that was spoken of him before. God has fulfilled faithfully tons of plans yeah. that he gave us a heads up about. Yeah, and I've heard people say, well, yeah, he knew about it. He made it happen because he knew about what the scripture said. But one person, that would be pretty impossible. I think when mm-hmm. people make that statement, they're, they're thinking there may be a handful of things that he he did that you know confirmed and allowed those prophecies to happen. But it it was not possible. It's not. I mean, that's that is um, someone trying to be academic and sounding foolish to think mm-hmm. that you could one man could accomplish all that. And then there's things like this that Jesus accomplished that were really not an action of his. Like, you know, there's there's uh, I think it's like Psalm 22 that that um, that prophesies Jesus on the cross and he talks about how uh, a bone none of his bones were broken mm-hmm. and traditionally with crucifixions, the last thing they would do would be break your legs mm-hmm. so that you would suffocate. And Jesus, well, he died before they, they came to break his legs spirit. and they said, no, he's already dead. And they did not break yeah. his bones. So there are, there are prophecies that he took decisive action. And then there are things that just happened mm-hmm. and were like them casting lots for his garments while he was on the cross. He didn't do that. Those men did that. So there's things that, so that argument kind of disappears yeah. at that point. Um, so then he goes on and says here, he says, For you have made a city a heap of stones, turned a fortified city into rubble, made the foreigner's fortress a city that will never be rebuilt. So when I first read that, I almost kind of like stepped back and I was like, okay, how does that look to someone who's not a Christian to see this God who, like even in my prayer, I say he's good. You know, he's good. And then all of a sudden, Isaiah's praising him, and in the midst of his praise, one of his accolades he gives to God, one of his accomplishments that he says, God, you're good and you're amazing and you've fulfilled plans. He says, you've made a city a heap of stones. Why would God do that? Why, why would that be something that Isaiah would be like, oh, God, this shows how amazing you are. And so I'm always trying to think about it. Like, I don't want to just blindly, um, you know, accept that God's good. Like, I, I want to I be able to have a conversation with somebody, right. you know. So my next thought was, okay, first of all, yeah, we have the atomic bomb now. Okay, so if you drop that, you could level a city. Beyond that, it would take men and bulldozers and tons of 21st century equipment to level a city. God did that to Jericho in an instant. Like, let's just, let's just put the, the goodness of God on pause for a second and think about the power of God. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we could drop a nuclear bomb. Beyond that, how could anyone else level a city? And you think about in ancient times, like these people are looking at Jericho, peoples on both sides of the Jordan River, people in Egypt, word had spread, like, who can do that? Like, we don't have atomic bombs. God leveled a city. I mean, how amazing is that, you know? Yeah, it would take a lot more than that. I mean, so just just that, so first of all, we we see God's power in that, and and we could talk about the goodness behind that in a different podcast. But just briefly, uh, don't we want our God to punish evil? I mean, don't we as people and and decent people, when we see a child mistreated, 
we want justice. Like we, we don't want that child to have to continue to suffer that. We want that person who's responsible for that injustice to be held accountable and stopped. Mm-hmm. And because of the sinful nature of man, there are times where God was left no choice in order to preserve his eternal plan of salvation, his eternal plan of bringing all of us back under his roof that God had to level cities because God cannot let unbridled evil thwart his plan of eternal salvation. And sometimes we put God in a place where God has no choice but to go to extreme atomic bomb measures. Mm -hmm. And that's how God can level cities and still be good because he will not let evil win. He knows the end. You know, he knows when it's time to do that. Yeah. He knows when it's time to, to show grace or, or judgment or when it's time to start over. And let's not forget, if we're talking Jericho, he sent, he sent the 12 spies in there. And there was one woman that was like, oh, we, yeah. we, you know, there's Rahab. Yeah. She's like, I've heard of you guys. And she, Rahab was a prostitute. Mm-hmm. The least likely of all people to accept. It's almost like, you know, on a much smaller scale when you have an automobile, you know, you can do repairs on it for so long until eventually it's just more efficient to take it to the junkyard. And some some things cannot be salvaged. There may be that one part like Rahab that could Mm -hmm. be salvaged, but for the most part, you got to start over and build a brand new car. And, And so... Rahab is a testimony that if the others wanted him, if the others wanted God, mm-hmm. if Rahab the prostitute had heard of God, surely there were others. Surely the, right. the report had come and they rejected they did. the God of Israel. Ultimately, even they had a choice before. They had a choice, absolutely. And uh, not to mention the armies of Israel walked around Jericho for days before it fell. So yeah. um, they had their chance. So I, I know we're, we're, we're kind of, this is a lot, a lot here, so we're probably going to, But basically, he goes on to keep driving home the same point that, yes, these cities were made rubble, um, and then ruthless nations, evil nations, just like the Egyptians at that time and other nations, they began to hear of these things, and they they, it's it's world-renowned, some of the stories that the God of Israel has done for his people, and huge nations like Egypt, the the superpower of the world in biblical times, uh, was fearful of of the God of Israel. Not so much that they changed their mind and followed him, but goodness, the report had gone out. Oh my gosh, you don't want to tick off, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he co- he goes on and then in uh, in verse four, he brings back in such an awesome part that I that I love that God stitches all throughout scripture. He says in verse four, for you have been a refuge for the poor a refuge for the needy in distress, shelter from the storm, shade from the heat. God has never failed to mention that he is for the little man. Yeah. You know, all throughout. Like, you can talk all these amazing things that God has done, but he, he is for everyone. No one is excluded. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you're from, what you have, what you don't have. God will get in your corner if you will submit to him. And he is for the needy, always has been, always will be. But what does our world say? Um, Clean up or sit somewhere else or 
take a shower or <laughs> I mean, God, let's not forget who we're talking about. This guy, I call him a guy. I mean, this this God who has complete authority and can level cities at the end of the day, who's his heart break for? Who does his heart get behind? It gets behind the people who have nothing. It gets behind someone who's willing to admit, I am nothing. Mm-hmm. I have nothing. And that's what it comes down to. You can, I mean, you can have nothing and, and still act like you have everything. It's it's that spirit of, of humbleness that he's for. You know, I think that it's the pride that he was resisting. Mm. So that's just usually goes hand in hand. People who have everything have pride, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be that way. No, you know, no, that's, you know, Jesus talked about passing through the camel, passing through the eye of the needle, but God is for the little man and our world. That's opposite of our mm-hmm. world. Our world says those who have are, are the ones who call the shots and make make the decisions and have the power but that is not our god and may we never be a people that forgets that i mean why did jesus come a he came to lay down his life and save us and b he came to show us how to live and how to love and how did jesus live he lived sacrificially for those that were without that's our call so he goes on and he says you know, shelter from the storm, shade from the heat. Then he talks about how, again, it's a little bit of a uh, fearful testimony for those, the enemies of God, you know, like a desert heat, you you subdue the foreigner's war, roar, uproar. If you've ever been so hot that you really can't, don't feel like you can breathe, if you've ever been in a sauna, um, even though desert heat would be a dry heat, that heat just sucks you dry. So, like a, like subdued by a cloud shadow, like heat subdued by a cloud shadow. So again, he's going back and forth between what the enemies of God perceive God to be and then what those who are in covenant with God perceive him to be. To the enemy, he sucks them dry with heat. To someone who's in covenant with God, he's shade on a hot day. Mm-hmm. And again, there you are with what you said. Who is God to you? Is God... How about this? Is God my friend or have I made myself his enemy? Yeah. Do you just look at God like he's the one making all the rules and and keeping you in the box, you know? Or mm. it's not supposed to be that way. You're supposed to be able to feel freedom because God is your friend and you're supposed to be able to rejoice in that, but too many times, and I'd made this mistake for years, <laughs> was thinking that, you know, God was just taking my fun away. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the uh, the word on the street. <laughs> yeah, he was the boss. He was the, you know, it wasn't that I didn't believe in him. I didn't understand him. I still am trying to understand him. But for, for so many people, we miss that. We don't get the shade because we're just focused on on his the stuff we don't understand instead of just trusting him yeah, and the rules and, and the rules and that's that's the wrong way yeah. to look at god so he goes on here uh and then uh he kind of turns a little pivots a little bit uh verse six 
On this mountain, God will make for all peoples a feast of rich food and superb wines, delicious, rich, and superb, elegant wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the veil which covers the face of all peoples, the veil enshrouding all the nations. So I read that, and I'm like, first of all, verse 6 is just awesome because just to speak hope into anybody listening, whatever you and I, we, us as Christians on this side of heaven are going through, God, there is coming a day where God will bring an end Mm -hmm. to all the mess that we wade through daily. God is preparing the most amazing feast in the most elegant of places Mm -hmm. to bless his people. And so then I, I go on, he says, um, he will destroy the veil which covers the face of all peoples. And I thought, okay, well, I could think of a lot of things w- that he means by that. Like, what what is the veil that covers the face of all peoples? And I'll, I'll be honest, at this point, I did a little bit of researching on some commentary because I want to see what other people thought. Like, what is your kind of take on that verse, babe? He will destroy the veil that covers the face well, of all peoples. Well, I mean, on the surface, it sounds like... <laughs> anything that we're trying to hide behind because we all have certain images we try to put out there. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter who you are. You want to be perceived Mm -hmm. one way and then there's, you know, who you are behind your closed doors. Your family probably gets to see who you are the most. (laughs) And then there's who you really are. (laughs) And then there's who you really are even behind that. So God knows behind all those doors and behind all those veils. So I think eventually we're all going to be able to see you know, and and yeah. he still loves us. Yeah. And then really there's a fourth one, <laughs> yeah. which is who God says we are. Yes. You know, and that's really what we have to receive. Mm-hmm. So the, when I did this research, basically, you know, um, Matthew, I think it's Matthew Henry. Um, he talked about the veil being darkness, mm-hmm. um, which is just a, a big catch all yeah, word for, for sin. But, but, you know, also I, the, the more I walk in the Christian, there's times where God, like something could be right in front of my face and God's trying to give me a message. And this has just happened to me this week without going into detail. And like, it's been there for so long, so close. <laughs> and this girl I know. <laughs> I don't know who that could be. It's <laughs> been, you know, kind of trying to get me to, uh, to look at this, this one type scenario. And, I'm, you know, and then anyway, it just took God bringing a series of circumstances. All of a sudden I could see. He took the veil off of this particular thing that was so close to me and I didn't even see it. And so the veil could be for you listening for you, at least for me, it could be, what is that? Like there's something God's trying to get us to see. And in that moment on that day at that feast on that mountain, when all things have been made right, when we are with God forever, there will be like, like Paul says, for now we see through a glass dimly. But then we will see him face to face as he truly is. And if that doesn't give you like some kind of just <laughs> assurance, some kind of just almost like you want to take a deep breath and mm. hmm, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. One day I'm going to f- understand. <laughs> One day I'm going to understand. And I, and I tell people this all the time. The, the smartest Christian you know is going to learn something when they get to heaven. Oh, yeah. You know, they're going to be like, oh, that's what you meant, God. So he goes on. Uh, He will swallow up death forever. God will wipe away the tears from every face. And if this is reminding you of the book of Revelation, you know, Mm -hmm. um, 
John well, is pulling from a little bit of this as he's writing What's Revelation. interesting is mine um, on this Bible app I'm using right now, on the ESV version, it kind of gives a subject heading on this chapter, and it says, God will swallow up death forever. And that really pinpoints to this part of the scriptures right here, this part, this part of the chapter. Um, but when you f- switch it over to Amplified, the subject is completely different, a song of praise for God's favor, So, which mm-hmm. is more about kind of the beginning and the ending of the chapter. So, so. there's the different But both is grace. Yeah. And both is wonderful. He will swallow up death forever. He will wipe away every tear from every face. He will remove from all the earth the disgrace his people suffer. And right here, I want to speak to somebody listening again. It, are you suffering for Jesus? Are you being persecuted? You could be in grade school. You could be a professional uh, working in the workplace. You could be um, a missionary in a hostile country. I mean, theoretically, you could li- be listening to this podcast in a place like that. God will one day remove the reproach from his people. One day, that that will be gone. God, God will... Um, he will fight for us. He will... I'm trying to think of the word. He will restore our reputation and not that we care about a reputation but one day the victory banner will be with our name and god's name together and though you may be persecuted now though you may be hated now though you may be ostracized from your friend group whatever it is god will take care of that on this day mm-hmm. for eternity yeah so, so st- many keep fighting so many of us get caught up and you know, what others are thinking or saying about us in this life instead of what God is thinking about us in this life. When, you know, flip forward, when we get there, how many people may be there that thinks, gosh, why didn't I worry about what God was thinking of me then? Mm. You know, instead of those people over here that, because we all see now. Absolutely. The veil is up, you know. We, we can all see clearly. And that's... That is our distraction so many times. I heard somebody say one time, and I'm going to mention this quickly, uh, what someone else thinks about you is none, none of, of your business. It's none of your business. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's a little different than persecution, you know. Um, that's American but that's, persecution. Yeah, that's our American culture yeah. persecution. But keep the faith. It is worth everything you could ever go through. It's worth everything we could ever go through. It's ours to keep the faith. It's, the outcome is up to God. Our job is to keep trusting Him and keep the faith and keep fighting. So He will roll the reproach away from His people. Uh, on that day, they will say, See, this is our God. We, we waited for Him to save us. This is Adonai. This is God. This is... We put our hope in Him. We are full of joy, so glad He saved us. So one day, our faith will be proven true and right, and God's report will win the report of the day. Right now, the naysayers, the people who say, uh, you're crazy, (laughs) one day those voices will be silenced. If people aren't calling you crazy, you're probably not walking this thing out. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. Everybody, most most people that follow Jesus, most Old Testament prophets, I mean, they did some crazy stuff. <laughs> they did. Laid on his side for how long and yeah. shaved his hair. Like, and 
I don't even remember. It was either like 40 days or 40 weeks or something. Yeah, I mean, they did some crazy stuff. And so God will ask you to do some crazy stuff. So if you're doing crazy stuff, you're probably on the right track. That's a good sign. (laughs) Yeah. So for on this mountain, the hand of Adonai will rest. Like the hand of God will rest. That's the Hebrew name for God, Adonai. And I keep keep saying it instead of replacing it for God. But um, just think about that. God's hand will rest on that mountain. Like both, I can see like a painting of a hand coming down and laying, covering the entire mountain. But it's more about God's presence, His protection, His provision, His power will be sufficient and enough and all-encompassing on that mountain. What is that mountain? Well, you know, the Hebrews would say um, this is Mount Zion, Holy Mount Zion, you know, in in uh, Israel. But this mountain represents God's dwelling place, mm-hmm. where God, where God is dwelling. Does God dwell in you? Are you a believer? Are you a Christian? God's hand rests upon you. Wherever God's presence is, His hand rests upon. And all of the promises of God in Christ, are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. You have the promises of God dwelling within you. So keep fighting the fight. Uh, but then we get into the last part of the chapter here, and we're going to try to speed it up so we can get in the news story. But So now he's gone from praising God, talking about the marvels of God and how it is scary to enemies and how it's uplifting to those who are in covenant with God. Then he goes into what it will be like when God makes all things right with the world, and he brings us under his bosom. We're together. And then the last part of this chapter, he talks about Moab. He says, but Moab will be trampled down where they are, like straw trampled into a pile of manure. Who is Moab? Okay, who who is Moab? Moab are the people who rejected God's offer. And many times in the Old Testament, Moab represents a place that is very close to God, but not quite to the point of surrender or submitting to God. Like if you research Moab, mm-hmm. it's used in a lot of stories. Um, I think they uh, Moab was uh, representative of a place that they were in right before they crossed into the promised land. So there will be those. There are those. I've been the guy where I get up close enough to see what God's up to. I toe the line and I'm like, you know, and I know God's real and I know God, who God is kind of, but yet I'm not willing to step out of that middle ground, which is what Moab is. You know, the middle. I mean, you've heard people say the devil owns the fence, which is kind of a scary sentence, but the truth is that in many ways, the middle is more dangerous than being far away. Because in the middle, you can convince yourself you're close enough. Yeah? Yep. I think the middle, and I think Moab is also representative of the ones who look like they're all on one side. Mm. Um, I read right here, it says in one of these, I don't even know, it's kind of like a concordance Bible with notes, but um, it says Moab is representative of all all the nations who are awaiting judgment for their pride and arrogance. So the Pharisees, Mm. you know, the ones who actually are the teachers the ones who cannot be teached anymore because they know it all they are Mm. no longer teachable Mm. the ones who 
persecuted Jesus when they were, you know, preaching. The ones that think they got it all figured out. Mm -hmm. That's a very dangerous place Mm -hmm. to be. And so he just basically keeps on going with Moab. Those people, the people who think they know it all, can't be told anything, together with the people that want nothing to do with God, will be trampled like straw into manure. They will spread their hands and try to swim, but their pride will be humbled and sunk, no matter how clever the strokes of their hands. Your high fortified walls he will level, strike to the ground and lay in the dust. God will win. It is absolutely futile for us to resist God's pull on our life. God will win, and there will be many people who resist the love and compassion and drawing of God. And on that day, any effort will be futile. And that's how the chapter ends. And it's, it's sad, even though it's such an uplifting chapter to me. But you know, not everybody is going to come. They're just not. Not everybody's going to come. Not everybody's going to want to come. Not everybody's going to see. And uh, if that bothers you to hear that, that's a good thing because you can still choose it. You know, like people are like, oh, that's, that's, um, that divides people. That's divisional. That's, uh, that's mean. God is for the little man. He's for, he is for you. That's the only reason he hasn't come back yet. Yeah. You know. Because of God's love and patience. That's why he tarries. That's why he hasn't came back yet. All right, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to come right back with a quick news story, then your questions. So we'll be right back. Hey, guys. Thanks again for joining us. If you come across any news stories or have any questions, you can shoot us an email that's questions at 2r1.org. Check us out on the website. It is www.2r1.org. That's the number two, the letter R, the number one. And you can now check us out on iTunes. Um, Search 2r1, but spell it out on iTunes. All right, welcome back. So we are going to pivot change directions real quick um if you want to get biblical wordy about it we're going to repent which means to change directions and go the other way but uh anyway we're going to talk about a quick news story and you know i'm I'm kind of looking all throughout the week trying to find something that i think uh would be good for us to talk about on the podcast and this story that i found was a little bit of like i mentioned in the intro was an amalgam of several stories and i'm just going to run through them a compilation. A it's compilation. a whole bunch of them. Oh, you tried to explain my know. big word with another big word. That's, that's <laughs> well, good. Well, <laughs> that is a way more common word. That's true. An amalgam. An that amalgam. sounds like a logarithm math <laughs> term that I don't understand. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So basically, let me read you the title. This is from Florida Today, and it's called The Cruelest Week. These 13... Wait, wait, wait. When was it written? Okay. Yeah, I'm going to get to that. This was written on April 17th. Okay. It's called The Cruelest Week. These 13 historic tragedies happened during the week of April 15th. So 
the video that, that accompanies it has a subtitle that says, Is the week of April 15th cursed? So I'm just going to read you some quick notes of things that have happened during Passover week, Easter week, throughout kind of history, according to the article. Obviously, these are not all of them. The Lincoln assassination, April 15th, 1865. The San Francisco earthquake, April 18th, 1906. Uh, between 700 and 3,000 people killed. 80% of the city was destroyed. Number three, the sinking of the Titanic, April 15th, 1912. Number four, the Ludlow Massacre, April 20th, 1914. Um, the Colorado National Guard um, ended up killing 20 people, including 12 children, um, over a coal mine uh, strike. Number five, the Hillsborough disaster, April 15th, 1989. Number six, the Waco siege ends, April 19th, 1993. Number seven, the Oklahoma City bombing, April 19th, 1995. Eight, the Columbine High School massacre, April 20th, 1999. Number nine, the Virginia Tech shootings, April 16th, 2007. Number 10, the Deepwater Horizon, April 20th, 2010. Uh, the... Boston Marathon bombing, April 15, 2013. The West Fertilizer Company explosion, April 17, 2013. The Notre Dame Cathedral fire, April 15, 2019. And then, after the story was written, was when the bombings in Sri Lanka happened. Yeah. And what what was it? Was it how many people? 60. So I don't. I thought it was like two 200 people, uh, I think. Over, about 200 people were killed. And so... The question is, is, is this week cursed? And there's something I wanted to get to a little bit more that's more controversial, more specifically about the Notre Dame fire. But I don't want to just pass over Sri Lanka because that's horrible. Um, and and I think as this podcast goes on, I am going to be willing to say some things that maybe will ruffle some feathers, and that's okay. I think if uh, America has one problem, it would probably be we're so politically correct that we can't speak truth. And uh, there's truth is undeniable. Truth is unarguable. Some of the things that I may say or you may say may be opinion-based, whatever, but Sri Lanka was horrible. Uh, nearly 300. Nearly 300, so the death toll's risen. So these things keep happening on the most holy week of the entire year for both Jewish people and Christians. Why is that? Well, I would say that the enemy wants to rob everything good and holy and true about that week. I mean, I think that would be obvious to say. Um, and that's why you see all of this devastation during that time, a time where we're, we're trying to focus our mind on God, who He is, what He's done for us, what He wants us to do. And that's obviously why ISIS struck in Sri Lanka, was to to inflict the most amount of horror on our holiest time, mm-hmm. to s- try and slap God, our God, in the face, and to try and slap Christian people in the face, and to f- scare us, and try and in their minds, show us that their faith is real, ours is not. Um, But I think anyone that would argue a faith that would lead um, 
currently be leading people to do stuff like that, the faith that they claim to have is not real. It's false. It's anti-Christ. Because who was Christ? Christ was love and sacrifice. These people are kill and take. Mm-hmm. But So I didn't want to skip that, but I did want to... There's, there's some things that really bothered me about the Notre Dame fire, and I can see you looking at me like, what are you about to say? <laughs> uh, I would just like to say that my opinions are my opinions, and they're not necessarily the opinions of my wife, who's sweeter <laughs> and smarter than me most of the time. But uh, And quieter. And quieter. <laughs> but um, there were some things that really bothered me about the Notre Dame I think thing. I know where you're going with this, you and do? I actually think I agree. You do? Mm-hmm. So people got so riled up and upset about, about the Notre- a building about a building I knew that's where you about a building mm-hmm. it's 900 years old and i get the archa- archaeological that the historical that's perspective. not where jesus lives no it's not where he lives and do you want to take a take a bat for a little while you go ahead and i'll, well, I'll no, go ahead i, mean, I, I, I see it on your mind pretty there. much sums it up but it is very um I mean, it, it, I'm not trying to make light of it either. If our if our home burned down, it would be awful. It would be absolutely horrible. But what's the first thing people do after their house burns down and their family makes it out alive? They say, thank God that can be replaced. Mm-hmm. You know, my family is okay. And it puts things in perspective. And it is awful. And it is such a beautiful building. And I'm all about history. And I'm really sad that I never got to lay my eyes on it. So it... It does hurt, and I think that's okay, but we need to keep it in perspective, just like mm-hmm. if it was our, our own home and our family. You know, that's not where God lives. That's not where God lives. And and I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to move into controversial ground here. Of course. Did God ever say, build buildings like that? I'm not familiar with that. Now, in the, Old in the Old Testament, he said build one. He told Solomon and, and David to build the temple, which Solomon built the temple. And it was magnificent. But that's when God lived there. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that that story bothers me on many levels. I'm running out of time. I can't get into it. But number one, I could not help but think, and I'm not trying to, pretend to know the mind of God, but I could not help but think that one of the things that God wanted us as Christian people to get from the Notre Dame fire. To get outside. To get outside, but also to just remind us, guys, I never told you to pour yourself, your resources, and your attention into a material structure that I don't live in anymore. And I cannot help but think with it being a holy week that God's just trying to get his people's mind out of the traditional mindset, which was even more traditional when Notre Dame was Mm. built. God does not live in a building. He doesn't need the building. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I wanted to say that. All right. I wanted to say that, and I know that's controversial. Um, And then there's the other side of it, which is all these uh, people who are um, claimed to be Christian. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. um, You know, maybe they're. Um, their fruit in their life doesn't necessarily speak loudly and, and represent Christ as a good ambassador. They were so upset about it, and they were coming out of the woodworks um, upset about this um, great Notre Dame building. And I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, 
Guys, God wants you to use the oxygen he's given you to praise his name, not be upset about a building. I think it gives God's people the wrong kind of testimony when we're more upset about a building that God never said to build. And but yet we let our lives be complete opposite portraits of who Jesus was and was all about. I think it's a problem. And the Notre Dame fire spotlighted that for me. Um, So uh, we want to hear from you guys. So we're going to transition very quickly um, to just ask you guys to reach out to us and ask us some questions because um, I realize that God can speak to anybody, through anybody at any time. I would love to hear what God's speaking to somebody. I'd just like to add one more thing. Okay. I I think that God is calling us as his church, the capital C church to go outside of the walls. And I do think that is one message we can take away from that. I think there are times when he may give personal revelation, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and I don't, there, he can tell you to do all kinds of things. He can tell me to do all the kind of things, but I think that overlying message is it is time to get outside of the church walls and be the church. And so I'm excited about the new, wave of mm. of this church generation. I think our young people coming up are seeing that and they're ready to to do God's work and be the church instead of just play church. Absolutely. Um and I kinda lost my train of thought on well, what else I was gonna add to that. And and if you and if you don't do that, you end up with uh, a lukewarm church, which is what we have. Mm-hmm. Um as a as the body of Christ in America, generally we're lukewarm and we honestly think that attendance and performance is what pleases God. And that's the exact opposite. Uh, That is not the gospel. Your goodness will never impress God ever. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Goodness. (laughs) Amen. So we are out of time. We don't have time to take questions, which is okay. We talk a lot, but we have not gotten a question yet. So (laughs) it probably works out. Um, we want you guys to email us. Please visit our website, 2 r one I think we should put that link, um, that video up there for them. Okay, cool. We'll do that. We'll post this article and the link uh, to the so video. So we can uh, give a shout-out to our sources. Thank yeah, you. that is uh, Florida Today. All right, thanks, Florida. Thank you, Florida. <laughs> well, I mean, thank you, Florida Today. I don't know if I want to thank the whole state. Yeah, well, they're all right. <laughs> Um, but anyway, we want you guys to engage with us. Please email us. Uh, first of all, you can visit our website, 2r1.org. That's are we the, on iTunes now? We are. We are officially on iTunes. You can search 2r1. Okay, let me let me just delineate between sorry, two here. Okay, so go to our website, which is 2r1.org. That's the number two, the letter R, the number one. Okay. However, due to weirdness internet stuff, iTunes they don't let you search with like numbers in the name or something. So you can't search the number two, the number R or the letter R number one on iTunes. You have to search the word to the letter. I know I tried. I don't think you can. So if you're looking for us on iTunes, you need to spell out the numbers basically and spell out the word R like A R E. So T W O A R E. That goes from three characters to nine characters. Okay. Exactly. Well, I mean, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't being, um, God didn't give me the name uh, with iTunes in mind, I don't guess. So, yeah. you know, we don't need iTunes. I mean, I mean it's nice, but okay. we don't need it. 
So iTunes is just another medium for people to hear the podcast. I mean, someone can go to it on the website anytime. So 2r1.org or search to the, with numbers, spelling them out. I mean, with letters, spelling them out on iTunes. And you can find us on iTunes. But please send us an email with comments or questions at our website. So questions at 2r1.org. Questions at 2r1.org. Um, and then we can look at the questions and we can field those next time we come together. But we want to hear from you guys. I mean, even if it's criticism, like if you don't agree with me, I'm a big boy. I mean, most of the time, right? Most of the time. Most of the time. He's pretty good. I mean, you know, sometimes I get a little riled up when you, you know. You kind of, you know, but, you know yeah. You know. <laughs> but, but we can handle, listen, guys, we can we can handle it. If you, if you want to disagree. We can disagree and dis- still be in unity. That's right. Yeah, I agree. We're on God's team. Yeah, as long as we're on Team Jesus, then we're we're good. But um, anyway, even if you're if you're a non-believer and you want to email, that's fine. I have conversations with non-believers all the time, so please email us. Please reach out to us. We would love to have a discussion. We would love to answer your questions, and we just want to thank you again so much for joining us. And I wanted to keep it shorter, but I just don't know if I can. <laughs> um, it's, this is such it's a rich the word scripture. of God. It's the word of God. I'm not gonna cut God off. So we love you. We'll see you hopefully in a week. God bless and take care.